They say what you put into something is what you take out of it. And it's true. To me, nothing is more interesting than what a critic brings into a movie. Do they like the director or cast? Are they plugged into the buzz? What do they think of the trailers? The point of this podcast, then, is to give listeners a chance to hear from a top film critic, both before and after they've seen a film, and to see how people's expectations shape their opinion of a movie itself. My name is Matthew Modigal, and welcome to After the Credits. So this podcast always works best when I have an opportunity to match up people with the movies or performers they're interested in. And this week's movie, Den of Thieves, is a star vehicle for for a couple of people, but most importantly for Gerard Butler, which meant it was time to get Diana Drum back on the show. Diana, will you please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, what type of writing you do, and where people can find you? Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be back for another Gerard Butler movie. And I um, manage the Female Film Critics Twitter account, which amplifies women's voices and writing both about film and just generally about culture. Um, Otherwise, um, I recently did an interview um, with the director of The Insult for No Film School, and you can find other things I've written on IndieWire, RogerEbert.com, The Playlist, a bunch of other places. (laughs) And if if there is a podcast episode at this site and there happens to be a gerard butler performance in the movie odds are you can find dana here too you i think i've given you carte blanche to just always be my guest any weekend gerard butler like the next star wars movie could open the same weekend that butler does some third string action or and i'd be like no 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 we got to talk about gerard yes this is actually all i've really dreamed of since i was 14 to like speak on gerard butler at length for other people to actually listen and engage with now, if you missed if you missed our Geostorm episode, first of all, shame on you. Um, but second of all, we'll we'll rehash some of the same points here because this is at least from the from the outside looking in, uh, this is a similar type of film in that it is a genre movie that is made and molded in the image of bigger, better movies. Uh, Geostorm, of course, was a kind of a thinly veiled uh, homage or ripoff to big 90s blockbusters like Armageddon and anyone who has watched the trailer for Den of Thieves is projecting or has made the joke that this is basically just a heat ripoff so Butler's in fine form already here in his role as as sort of the guy that rehashes better movies what have you heard so far uh, about Den of Thieves well um so far mostly mixed I know Courtney Howard hated it, and I think called it something along the lines of just like an extended pissing contest, which, I don't know, I think considering the players involved would be interesting, because not only do you have Gerard Butler, but you have 50 Cent, who my favorite performance of his is his brief cameo in Spy. You've got O'Shea Jackson Jr., who, if everyone hasn't seen Ingrid Goes West, they really need to. He is lovely in that. You've got Pablo Schreiber, who, yeah, or Schreiber, he's uh, Liev's bro- half-brother, mm-hmm. and, like, he was on Weeds, and he was awesome there, I think. And then uh, Orange is the New Black. So, like, a lot of cool characters are coming together. So I'm okay with it being a pissing contest, contest amongst those men. But, um, yeah, and then I know Katie Walsh liked it, 
And I've been hearing mostly that it's just like going to be that sort of film that will be great on TNT drama in like a year. Yeah. That's like wonderful background noise. I was, I was talking to somebody um, about that actually just today and talking about the fact that um, a buddy of mine, Jacob Knight, had written a blurb on Twitter that said that this movie is Redbox Michael Mann, which is yeah. which is such a succinct way of describing a genre of film. Uh, and you know, and one that I think we can appreciate. Yeah, like that is not. I, I need to preface here that that it, that may sound like an insult. I don't think that it is. It certainly isn't um, for the types of films that I know J- that Jacob watches. But it's not an insult in my eyes. I think that there is nothing wrong with having a movie that aspires to be a slightly campier, slightly worse, or slightly you know l- lower budget version of a movie that's good as Rent. Like. If there is no such thing as a um, or a bad comparison to Heat, uh, that you can't, if you're in the same sentence as Heat, even if the sentence is, well, this movie is no Heat, like you're still, it, it made you think of Heat. You're doing something right. So Right. Actually, this is going to be a terrible confession, and I think I might have to rectify this before the second part, but I have not seen Heat. <laughs> okay. Okay. So this is the... the... <laughs> Then for you, what you're going to think of? So many hate tweets. No, you're going to be fine. Everybody had look. Everybody has blind spots. There's no shame in having blind spots. And I'm really excited for you to be the one person on the internet that refers to Heat as the better version of Dead of Thieves. Yeah, that's the question. Should I catch up with Heat before I see Dead of Thieves, or should I watch Dead of Thieves and then follow it up with Heat and be like, oh, this is what I've been missing? I don't think. I don't think that I can. That, that I would pass on the opportunity to see Den of Thieves before Heat, knowing nothing about Heat, and then watch Heat after that and be like, oh, I get what they were going for. Like, okay. definitely Heat, Heat is afterwards. And, oh, man, I'm very I'm very jealous of the experience that you're going to have at some point because I, I think that's going to be fun. But, okay, sweet. But, you know, this, so this is, this is kind of low-rent genre stuff, it looks like. Um, there's actually it, – it is – an interesting opportunity for uh, Butler to k- kind of work with a collaborator that he's worked with in the past. The director of this film, the writer-director, uh, Christian Gudegast, I think that's here, right. how you pronounce it, has written London Has Fallen. Um, did, it's did really work with- funny, though, because this like this and Geostorm are both first-time, di- are their directorial debuts of, you know, well-seasoned screenwriters. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether both were produced by Gerard Butler and that's where he's looking for scripts in terms of like well-seasoned screenwriters who want to, you know, get behind the camera. But like, I don't know that's a weird coincidence. Yeah. Maybe. And it's, it's definitely like the types of films that Gudegast has written in his career thus far, stuff like a man apart soldier, soldier of fortune, London has fallen. There's certainly movies of a type, right? These are, yeah. This is this is it, one one exploration of masculinity on screen that you know maybe isn't the definitive version, but yeah, it it is movie stars who think of themselves as big action heroes um, who are playing kind of these middle of the road, not good guys, not bad guys, anti-hero types. Uh, and I won't pretend like those aren't movies that have their moments. A Man Apart has its moments. London Has Fallen has its moments. So I fully expect and believe the some of the critics that seem to like Den of Thieves when I when they say that there are good parts in it, that doesn't surprise me at all. This is a director, a writer director who has made good parts to movies before, and Butler is typically in, in, at the worst you could say, as we talked about with Geostorm, he's in entertaining movies, right? Right. 
But I guess the thing that's going to be tricky, as we discussed before this, we were recording, but it's two hours and 20 minutes. So let's say, you know, there are like 10 solid moments, but over the course of two hours and 20 minutes, it's like, we're going to have to find whether it's reached like a golden ratio of like bad to solid or whether it's just not enough. So that raises two questions in my mind, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to ask them in order. I'll let you answer them first. So first question is when you're talking about that, so bad, it's good thing. And I know a lot of people, a lot of critics have written about that before. It does, it, does that exist for you? Is there, is there that golden ratio of so bad it's good or is everything on a sliding scale of good and bad and some movies just fall somewhere in the middle? I think, I think the so bad it's good usually falls into films that are camp, but people don't want to say are camp. Like I'm thinking in terms of like, speaking of another Gerard Butler film, Dracula 2000. Um, that's fantastic because it's just so scene chewing and soaking in its, I don't know, not self-importance, but just like, there's just so much to it in terms of the mythos that they inserted into like what should have just been like a one, two, three action thriller update of Dracula. Like, like let's just, it includes Judas and some other stuff and that's kind of spoilery, but the movie's been out for 17 years. So I feel okay with saying that. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that if somebody is listening to this podcast and super upset that you spoiled Dracula 2000, <laughs> that person is living their best possible life. So good, good on you. Yeah. Oh, oh, to be them. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So I feel like that, that like Dracula 2000 for me personally is the pinnacle of so bad. It's great because you have like, you have Christopher Plummer in a supporting role as like, Abraham von Helsing and like it's just it's so bonkers but in ways that are still approachable but like there are lines like you know where Dracula to a girl a lady whoever anyways uh says something along the lines of like I don't drink coffee and you're just like oh ha 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 like it's supposed to be witty and charming or like smart but then at the same time it's so cheesy and corny but you appreciate the effort and the like winkingness of it all. Okay. So, so as a follow-up question that then my, my second question is um, appreciating kind of that, that middle ground of, of movies that operate on the two scales. What to you, for you would a movie have to be for it to justify a 140 minute runtime? Because I think that's, that's the one thing that we've seen the most. And, and I, don't, I don't even mean that as a criticism. I've heard people that say Den of Thieves doesn't lose you in that full 140 minutes but for anything that isn't either extremely expensive or extremely prestige going over that two hour mark is is shocking it's a surprise so what right. what you know what what does what needs to be in place for you to justify a and two also hour for time? a heist movie yeah because when you think of it in terms of a heist movie it's you know they're planning there's conflict, there's struggle, they get there, they do the job, it either goes or it doesn't, and then ramifications, like, I don't know, just as general, like, that's what makes heist, mu heist movies so great, is that, you know, they follow that general structure, and then you can, like, insert all, you know, special touches and this, that, and the other, but it follows a trajectory in which there are, you know, maybe three options for each turn. That like that's what I'm kind of confused with in terms of it going into 
I get it's like over two hours. That like here, I'm gonna double check. How long was Baby Driver? Out of curiosity. Um, baby, baby Driver. As I look it up right now. Yeah, I'm doing the same. Baby Driver was oh, just that was, shy. That was right under two hours. Yeah, that was just under two hours. At an hour and fifty three minutes. And you know, for comparison's sake too, I I think when you talk about heist movies, sort of the the prototypical contemporary heist movie is Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven. And even that movie, yeah. which had to introduce backstories for uh, you know a dozen different characters or eleven different characters, yeah. Um, and <laughs> really had, <laughs> yeah, like it had to it had to give you so much of this background so that it could pull the rope out from under some of the characters. Oh, and speaking which Ocean's Eight, that's going to be exciting. But anyways, that's me overshadowing. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. We can we'll talk about that one at, uh, a little later. Um, yeah, yeah. But that that movie was shorter than this. That was two hours and seven minutes. So even the most the most the pinnacle of the heist genre, at least since the '90s, um, is a movie that with more characters than this still right, wrapped it up in like 13 minutes fewer time. And also, I assume like a much more complicated backstory and plot. Like again, we're gonna wait until we see Den of Thieves, but it just looks like oh, it's a group of cops, and oh, it's a group of robbers, and they collide like it's not quite like it doesn't look like there's so much i don't know character depth mm. if that makes sense compared to like oceans 11 because of who is cast and which roles and what parts they were going to play in the heist it's so detailed in that way yeah but like yeah. i i you know again making a leap based off of little knowledge but like i assume den of thieves is not going to be have it as extensive backstories for each of their characters <laughs> right how do you how do you feel about the um, the turn from I guess good guy to bad guy for Butler? He's sort of made a career out of playing. He's kind of made a career like the Lennon has fallen movies. Um, he's not he's certainly not entirely on the path of the straight and narrow. But we sort of associate the bad cop role as a role that is sort of trying to revisit an actor's career when he's gotten to a certain point. I think people look right. look to performances like Denzel Washington and Training Day, and they say, here's an actor that's on the verge of a transition. You know, what it looks like we don't necessarily yeah. know yet, but somebody who is at the height or just post-height of their action hero prowess who is starting to add depth and dimension to their on-screen performance by doing, you know, really sinking their teeth into a, a, a bad guy role. This, of course, was sort of made famous by Heat, too, is this is something that Michael Mann did extremely well with uh, both De Niro and Pacino as having them play these, like, middle-aged, uh, more conflicted versions of characters that we'd seen them play in the past. Are you, well, are you, do you think, do you think Butler's going to kind of reinvent himself here is this is this his attempt to go prestige <laughs> um i think prestige is a stretch but i could i can definitely see the whole reaching a certain age in which let's just say looks character acting style just it reads experience so it's not like he can you know play a cop new on the force or like you know colin farrell and swat like it's not quite that that or like as in I don't know. I I'm thinking mostly just like along the lines of he just reached a certain age and like this is a role that suits that he could like, you know, sink his teeth into rather than I don't think it's gonna be like a reinvention or, you know, like a big career defining moment. But I'm going to double check on what he has upcoming because I could be entirely wrong. It could be a bunch of cops. 
Yeah, it's it's also it's also kind of interesting <laughs> to me too. Played villains or like you know, it's like he's always kind of had it like I don't know, like cop gone rogue, agent gone rogue, and then even before that, like you know, the roles that I like became a complete fangirl over included Dracula and Phantom of the Opera, which are both villainous but in a completely different way. But um, yeah, but doesn't yeah, but I, Butler strikes you? Let's let's be honest here, Butler is. Butler is one of those actors that he does a movie and in the interviews he talks about the bad guys if he was the good guy, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's definitely one of those actors that's like, oh, so you play Dracula, and he's like, well, I tried to play Dracula as somebody who had, like lost their way but was trying, you know, like that's the sort of thing. Is I at least get the impression when I see him in films when he is sort of playing a you know an antihero type character, he clearly yeah. thinks that he's the good guy in whatever story he's telling. Um, so yeah. for him to for him in the trailer to basically say we're not the good guys to me that's an interesting departure for him because he's not you know his cop character in this is going to unabashedly be the bad guy and we're not necessarily rooting for him and I think that he but he's still gonna be able to like eat the scenes like I've yeah. just there was there's one line in it where he's like they're addicted to heists and that lot in the trailer and that just killed me and that sold me on the film and that I had to see it. Because he's he's just gonna be chopping and it's gonna be beautiful. <laughs> well, we've got we've got a couple other actors on here too that are sort of on different um, trajectories in their career. There's Butler oh, yeah. Butler, of course, who we could talk about forever. It, we will talk about forever <laughs> in the in the in the like, debrief. Or oh, sorry, I looked up his IMDb and he's got you know the latest has fallen movie and then Keepers, which looks like a mystery. So maybe maybe you're right. Maybe you're pinpointing a shift in Gerard Butler because the, um, there's an upcoming, yeah, Flannan Isle mystery and there's like a release. Anyways, it's a whole, th- like, let's just say not a normal Gerard Butler film that he's headlining. Turning so. point. Den-, Den of Thieves is prestige Butler. <laughs> exactly. It's like when there's the Butler assance or like when they're going to be the think pieces on the Butler assance, they'll have to cite this moment in which you said Den of Thieves. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to being cited in academic papers, quoted as quoted as identifying the turning point in Gerard Butler's career before he was knighted and won 15, 15 Oscars and in a row. Lauded as one of the greater, considering Daniel Day Lewis is just retired. Yeah, this is only the second actor ever since uh, Augie, what's his name, to win the best actor and best supporting actor roles for the for the same film. Oh, indeed, indeed. But let's talk too about some of the other people here. So, Den of Thieves is is going to be a Butler vehicle of sorts. I think that's pretty evident from his collaborators. But there's also the fact that he's working with, um, you said Pablo Schreiber. Uh, he's also working with Fifty Cent, who's an actor that we think of as more like the DTV. I guess I think of him as an actor now. I don't even think of him as a rapper anymore. But um, as, yeah. as a, a D, DTV producer, even an auteur of a certain genre of action films. I think the real standout member of this cast, though, is O'Shea Jackson Jr., who I haven't seen Ingrid Goes West. I know that the reputation oh, of the film. I, yeah, I know people love it. I know people do <laughs> love him quite a bit. Um, and some of the um, the other films he's done, the biopic for, um, I'm blanking on, Straight Outta Compton. Uh, people love him yeah, as Straight Outta yeah, Compton. Yeah, yeah. His is definitely a star on the rise. He is somebody that will probably... Um, have a chokehold on um, Hollywood and a lot of leading roles in the next five, ten years or so. So what do you take of all these different actors on on different trajectories? Does that, when you see a film, you know, typically good movies have good actors in the good part of their career. Bad movies have 
either bad actors or good movies in the bad part of their career. What do you think of when you think of a movie like this, where there's like five different actors, like some are going up, some are going down, some are going sideways? Does it matter? I don't like, I think in a way it matters because it shows how much care and interest is put into the film and its process or like, and its production in terms of, you know, like if it was all just like a bunch of hacky should be on lifetime actors, then that, that would be very disconcerting. And you'd be like, wait, why isn't this going straight on demand versus being a wide release? Like, what am I missing? What am I being wary of versus having so many different actors on different trajectories that have done pretty well so far at the stages of their careers that uh, it's just, it's promising. Like it's not, you know, it's not like a crazy ensemble. Like again, the ocean series, mm-hmm. like, cause clearly all of them were on the top of their game, but I, I, I find it interesting and promising and like, especially because the fact that the way that the plot seems to be set up and the way that it's being um, marketed is that it is like two rival gangs, so to speak, that like that also makes it seem a lot more interesting than if you just have like Gerard Butler and 50 Cent like just going at it in the trailer and just being like, you know, big rivalry between two guys and then they have everybody else there. But because you've got Pablo Schreiber and... O'Shea Jackson Jr. and a bunch of other people that I might not recognize their names, but I recognize their faces. Um, I don't know. Like, I think it will be fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to. Question at all. <laughs> no, that does. That does. I think you're right. I think that I think that there is something interesting and, and intriguing about movies that, that do kind of what, what it tells you when you see that diversity of talent in terms of where they're at in their career. The big movie that's opening this weekend, other than Den of Thieves, is 12 Strong. Another film that's got kind of mixed reviews from critics, but it is it is a film that uh, maybe up a level, but certainly has that same balance of actors, you know, prestige actors, action actors, actors that are a little, you know, their careers are on the way up, their careers are on the way down. But there are those things where a performance or an actor who is in the film that you don't expect to be somebody that's on their way up. And this is kind of one of the studio films they do as they're establishing themselves. That can make a huge difference. Trevante Rhodes of Moonlight is in 12 Strong. I didn't realize that because I don't think I saw him in any of the trailers, but he's the sort of actor. Yeah, That makes me want to see it. Exactly, exactly. It makes you want to see it. And when I learned that O'Shea Jackson Jr. was in Den of Thieves, it was one of those, it makes me want to see it kind of roles. I don't think... It's indicative of a movie that's going to be elevated to the level where somebody like Trevante Rhodes or O'Shea Jackson will be at in a couple of years. I, There are a lot of movies that have like one or two interesting cast members that never quite get to that point. But every now and then it does. And every now and then you do get a movie where a performance kind of stands out. And so the fact that Den of Thieves has a few of those actors that you could consider kind of on the way up, uh, depending on how you feel about Pablo Schreiber's career, like that, that to me adds that extra level of like, maybe it'll be good. Because everything in the world tells you a movie like Den of Thieves should be bad, but O'Shea Jackson Jr. is in it. Maybe it'll be good. It's got the guy that wrote a couple of other like hyper-masculine movies, and they're all kind of campy and fun. Maybe it'll be good. And you look for all those little layers of maybe it'll be good. Right. And like, even if it's true, if it's terrible, it's still an experience to see, you know, actors that either... I don't know, we're rooting for in their careers or we find interesting or we're drawn to 
in a different movie or like in a movie. Yeah. Like it's all, that's always an experience in itself. So like. then I guess we've come to the part of the show where we have to put our money where our mouth is, or at least our metrics <laughs> where our mouth is and say um, what we think the score is going to be for Den of Thieves coming out of it. So Diana, based on everything you've seen and heard about Den of Thieves <laughs> and based on your own blinding love of Gerard Butler that uh, <laughs> takes away your ability to be objective about any of his films, scale of one <laughs> to five, what do you think your final score will be for Den of Thieves? Hmm. See, the, see, the trick is going to be whether it pulls off the two hours and 20 minutes. That's what I'm worried about. That's the... Because, like, for example, like, Baby Driver, that was a movie that I adore, and I adored every time I saw it, even though it kind of slowed down in the second act, and, like, it definitely picked up in the third act. And so I'm wondering whether, I don't know, I'll just, it'll, whether Den of Thieves will keep up the rhythm, or whether it will sl slow down and I'll, you know, lose the excitement of it all, or, I don't know, that's just, like, on a very personal level, but... That's what's making me worried about, like, that long of a film that isn't, like, a period piece or an epic drama or, I don't know, a crazy long romance. That, like, that's usually what I'm drawn to in terms of that length. But, um, yeah, so I think, you know, factoring in, you know, the longstanding love I have for Gerard Butler, I'd probably say it'll be, like, a two and a half, three star for me. That's what I'm betting. I'm like, again, I feel like the length of the film will make it, will determine whether it's a two star or a three star. I think that's and like, about like right. how it handles it. Yeah, that feels about right to me. Um, I, I have to admit just kind of the weird, um, the, the weird and surprisingly uh, intriguing cast of the film, not to mention <laughs> the fact that a couple of critics that we've talked about that um, yeah. are, usually pretty good at sussing out genre movies are have said that they enjoyed it quite a bit the fact that it is two hours and 20 minutes to me it should be a deterrent and in a weird kind of way it actually intrigues me because what studio in their right mind would give a two hour and 20 minute cut to a movie that is released in january that looks like Again, to quote Jacob, red box Michael Mann, like all of these right, and things. Right, a wide release. Like this and is a wide, a yeah. This, this is, is getting gonna be, a wide release. <laughs> this is going to be in thousands of movie theaters across the country. And like no producer along the way stopped and said, this should be a limited release or this should be cut down. They looked at what they had and they were like, yeah, put it everywhere. So like all of this combines to the fact that like this movie feels weird from the outside and i'm gonna go 3.5 i'm gonna say that really? i'm gonna say that i have i have a weakness for big bad <laughs> and loud and this movie feels like it could be the right balance of big bad and loud i don't think it's a movie that i'll remember at the end of the year but i think it's a movie that i will thoroughly enjoy in the moment and i'll look back at and be like yeah that was a fucking weird action movie and i kind of liked every minute of it it's like this was worth the experience or this was worth the movie going experience right here. Yeah, that is <laughs> I, I it's a new year. It's the first episode of 2018 of the podcast. So I'm going to be bullish and I'm going to I'm going to allow myself to hope once and say Den of Thieves is a 3.5 movie, which isn't exact, which isn't even that much of a stretch. That's like a C, but well, still, I mean, like, you know, yeah. C plus. I can see it. 
I could, yeah, again, it's all just going to depend on how well it deals with the length and whether it drags at any point or whether we get any wonderful long-winded speeches where there should be action scenes or whether there isn't enough dialogue or, you know, just like all those certain factors that can deter uh, like an extra long movie from being decent. Yep. Uh, We'll just have to see. Well, Dana, it is that time then. Let's go see this movie and we'll be back and talk about it in just a second. everyone we are back and we are ready to talk about den of thieves and it is this point in the podcast where i remind you that we are going to spoil the film for you if a film like den of thieves can actually be spoiled so please please turn this off turn it off if you don't want to ruin you don't want to ruin it you don't want to ruin the experience turn it off now so um let's talk about den of thieves which is i think i brought up a couple of times in our pre-section in every way that matters, a red box version of Heat. Diana, did you get a chance to watch Heat between then no, and now? Okay. I, I definitely have not watched Heat yet. Okay, so for you, for you, the bar is still set at Den of Thieves. That is like as hard as high as the heist bar gets. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, okay. All right. I, I, I envy <laughs> you the experiences you're about to have. <laughs> but all right, so let's uh let's let's start with sort of general impressions then. The the big overarching themes what you took away when you walked right out of the theater gut impression what did you think of den of thieves well i'm going to really like the sequel i think because just the way that it ended like i feel like i'm more interested in o'shea jackson jr character than anything else i saw on screen with the you know end of the film twist and uh um, okay. I do want to talk I do want to talk about the twist but I want to hold off on that. I know that's just, why I like I just literally but like that's the thing leaving the theater that was my thought. And then in the theater I don't know it just a lot of it felt unearned and like throwaway like again this is all spoilery but you know having Gerard Butler's character sleep with um Shriver's girlfriend and then like the quick line of like you told me to do it like it just it just felt very like sloppy and quick in certain ways but then like the I don't know action scenes and the brooding men were extra long like I don't know it just didn't really and also all the stuff with like Butler's character's ex-wife didn't sit well or like you know wife turned ex-wife and like you know randomly throw in the kids for five seconds Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, my my initial impression walking out of the the theater was, um, and and I, I think I think it's safe to say that I actually I enjoyed this. I thought that this was a movie that that delivered, that said well, that had a very low ceiling and sure. a, managed to get as close to that ceiling as it possibly could get. No, so I'm going to preface that by saying that twist, and I did there were like i would say like in the third act i definitely had moments of like thrill and moments of i don't know where this is going so like it achieved mm. that yeah but with with the um with sort of the overall quality of the film i think maybe the best place to start is just with the runtime because i didn't i walked out of the movie theater and my initial reaction was for a movie that took 2 hours and 20 minutes i didn't really feel like i had 
been in the movie theater that long. Like, it is a long movie. In some ways, it feels more like a limited run television series for like a stars channel um, that you just watch in, in sequential order. But I didn't, you know, if, if your main question going into Den of Thieves is, is it going to feel like a slog? I don't know. I didn't think it was a slog. I, I liked sort of the breathing room it gave some of the bits, especially that is probably the most time I've ever seen a movie spend on a single heist. And I, I think Den of Thieves is better for it. Right. No, I like that. Like, I feel, I agree with you that like, it doesn't feel like two hours and 20 minutes in a bad way. I think it's just more that like when I got out of the theater and like the little bits and pieces that I wasn't like a big fan of, like the whole bit of, you know, 50 cents daughter's prom date. And like, it was just, a, it was an opportunity to be like, Oh, all these men look how threatening they are. And then, Oh, they laugh it off. Like, I don't know. It just felt like throwaway and weird. Like, some sort of masculinity that I'm just not in tune with. But, um, so it's like, you know, it's like, in retrospect, it's like, I could kind of think of, like, oh, this is what I would have cut. But at the same time, while watching it, like, yeah, I agree, it wasn't a slog. Yeah, do you think, um, because I, I agree with you, I think that there, that the movie has a lot of just, just crap, like, stuff that doesn't need to be there. Right, and... the whole, I just, like, also, like, when they're at that, like, Oh, was it that, um, you know, like the interact, I forget what the heck it's called, but you know, the interactive Chinese food place. Yeah. The, the not Benihana's. Yeah. Benihana. <laughs> that is not Benihana. But, um, that whole bit felt really unnecessary. And also I didn't know that that was like all the, you know, heist people's family there. And then it was this whole thing of like honor and like, I don't know, just, it was really awkward. Cause I feel like they didn't necessarily set it up, but you were supposed to just go with it of like, here's the clash, like on a personal level. <laughs> yeah. So the film, the film really, I mean, the, the main impetus for the storyline is like Gerard Butler, right? Because yeah. there are, there are <laughs> insights or there are um, at least attempts to give Pablo Schreiber sort of a, an internal life or like, a, you know, stuff going on in his life. There's attempts to do the same thing with O'Shea Jackson, which is, um, we'll get to the ending in a minute, but like yeah. maybe more or less successful. Um, I don't know. Like at what point do you just sort of stop caring? <laughs> and I, I mean that as a compliment because there definitely was a point where I said, Oh, this is the type of story that they're telling. They're going to have scenes where people posture for no other reason other than because as a self-contained scene, it may work, even though it doesn't work in the context of the movie. Right. No, that's it. No, you've hit the nail on the head because like it works with it. Like, I think that's it is that I just wasn't expecting so many like weird, side note vignettes if that makes sense without like and again oh like i'm trying to think of like where my turning point was i i think it was the scene where like gerard butler and all the bad cops have o'shea jackson jr's character and like he just keeps smacking him and like not even like a real smack it's just like it's just like a pay attention dude side slap that like it that care like gerard butler just kept doing that that I was just kind of like, okay, so, you know, you're not going to, like, beat the guy to death, or you're not going to beat the guy to the inch of his life, but you're just going to, you know, you're, like, show, it's, like, enough of a move that you're showing some superiority in the situation, but at the same time, like, it's condescending, but it also doesn't do damage. Like, and I feel like that kind of, like, thematically works with everything else. But, yeah, that was when I was just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to sit back, and this is going to be weird. 
you know, I, we've talked a lot on the show before about like the Gerard Butler thing, and we'll talk about him in a minute. Um, yeah. But I, I, I am curious. I, I do wonder, like, do you watch a lot of bad, um, maybe even like 80s VHS caliber action movies? Because I think there's definitely, to a certain extent, if you watch enough of those, and I'm not saying this yeah. is a forgiveness of the film, but you, you start to gloss over it because you're used to the posturing. You're used to that I just haven't that watched stuff. that sort of movie and so, because, like, my mom loves those sort of movies. Mm-hmm. Like, she's somebody who, like, every Steven Seagal movie we'd watch. And, like, you know, and, um, yeah, there. she said that, like, something that helped her while raising me and my brother was watching Rambo, like, just the Rambo series. So, like, it's kind of a, like, I kind of get certain aspects of things, but I guess I just hadn't seen, like, one of those sort of movies in a while, where it is that posturing and that sort of, it just, I guess I'm just used, I've gotten, like, spoiled with, like, nuance. (laughs) Well, I don't, I don't think there's ever a time where someone should say they've gotten spoiled by nuance. That's, (laughs) that is something movies should strive for. Because, like, I think the last film I saw in a, because... Yeah, I think the last film I saw, uh, the last new release I saw right before seeing Den of Thieves was Phantom Thread. So <laughs> that might have shaded my, like, going into Den of Thieves. But then at the same time, I should have remembered Geostorm. But <laughs> yeah, that is that is quite the downshift. Yeah. Uh, it, I think I think it's a hard, that is definitely a hard thing to fill. And it, I mean, from my um, from my comparison, I'm going to pop up my letterbox here and see <laughs> the last movie that I watched before Den of Thieves was Ulzana's Raid, you know, a 1970s revisionist Western about a bunch of guys that go off into the wilderness and like decide that it's their job to hunt uh, a bunch of Native Americans. So maybe I was already oh, kind of in a place where I was actually, like hyper masculinity. I just literally found the exact movie that I the last movie I saw before Den of Thieves. It was Moana. Ah, uh, okay. That's in- <laughs> Sorry. It's just like, if you're going to like look at like the exact, the la- the last actual movie seeing before another movie, that is like the worst tonal shift. <laughs> yeah, that really is. All right. Well, okay. So we'll, we'll, grant a, we'll grant a couple of premises here. Then we'll grant one that the movie is written um, with a question mark as in the movie is written. Yeah. And two, we'll, we'll acknowledge the fact that it does... I, whether or not you feel the time parameters, there's a lot of bloat in this movie. A lot of scenes, a lot of, I liked, I liked how you described it as like the one-off vignettes. I think that's very applicable. Yeah. Um, or like, but, especially all the stuff with the ex-wife just felt mm-hmm. weird. Or like, you know, when Gerard Butler walks into her setup, like into like their, I guess it's like their, when they were a couple, their couple friends set her up with another guy. But I was really confused in terms of, like, the timeline of this. Because I wasn't sure. I'm like, so he, like, interrupts a date and, like, signs the divorce papers. Even though the last scene we saw them all in was when they're still married and she just, like, leaves the house with the kids. So I just was kind of like, wait, is this all happening, like, in a week? Yeah, oh, for sure. It was about a week. Again, that's that's why I'm going to say the Den of Thieves was written with a question mark at the end. (laughs) But let's let's talk about let's talk about your boy then, uh, because this is for better for worse, uh, and in this case, I would argue for the better, a Gerard Butler show. What did you think that he brought to the character? What do you think he brought to the movie? 
I think he brought an unearned pathos to it. Just like, because, you know, it's like he was definitely eating up the writing of just like, oh, they're addicted to heists. And like, again, it's like when he was smacking O'Shea Jackson Jr. a bit, but like not going fully into it. And they're like, literally, he was like smacking his lips on lines. Like, it was kind of beautiful. Like the I don't beautiful, know. beautiful's not a word that I would have thought of, but it does seem appropriate. Come yeah, to think of it. it's like it, it's just kind of maybe not beautiful as much as I don't and robust. I don't know, just like robust in a weird way. Like I kind of it just it was, how about this? It was very intriguing, and then like there was a certain rhythm to it and a certain bloatedness to it that I just I don't know. I feel like it was like a cheap steak where. You know, you've got the meat, but also comes with like a lot of fat and excess. That's how I feel that performance was. It's like, you know, a steak from like Rosie O'Grady's in Times Square or something that you get for like less than 20 bucks. <laughs> now, when you when you have a character like this, I think one what? of the things that I'm always worried about is, I guess, that the... the there's just too much effort. You see, you see like the amount of energy and effort. And I think this is the way that people think about... Uh, an actor that I personally love, Nick Cage, and some of his lesser films or worse performances is that it, he's dialed up to 11 or 12 for no reason whatsoever. So is this, was this character in Den of Thieves kind of this rogue cop that we've seen a hundred times before, we've seen a thousand times before on screen. Is this Gerard Butler kind of like finding that character and making it work for him? Or is this him clearly obviously going through the paces of like oh i'm doing the bad cop thing and look at me i can be big and i can eat donuts off the ground and i can like muscle guys and threateningly like brush things off people's shoulders which is which is this which which version of butler did we get i honestly the whole time i felt like he was still trying to find the character (laughs) like it was weird or like i don't know it's just like i don't think he was comfortable but at the same time he's really good at bravado like and actually there's that moment where he's at the strip club and he see and like he has a look that made me think of Dracula 2000. Like specifically the look like he gives at this woman. I'm just like I know that look. That is his like I'm turned on and forceful look. That like it was just kind of funny because I'm just like oh wait if he's falling back into something that he did yeah 18 years ago in terms of like acting, visual, facial choice. It just made me wonder like what I don't know, like, in terms of building that character, whether he was, like, grappling with just the script or whether he watched, you know, movies that of this genre, kind of, like, the ones that you've been mentioning, and I don't know, just, like, how he builds that role, so to speak. Because, like, part of it felt like, again, it's like he came in with, like, a very clear idea of, like, kind of, like, a one- or two-dimensional character that then he tried to reach for that third dimension, but it just wasn't there in the script. Mm. The movie does spend a lot of time with him, though. Um, yeah. Was there was there any point at where you felt like maybe he'd locked in that character that he'd been struggling to find? Um. Again, I feel like at the end, <laughs> like, for some reason I'm really loving the end of this movie, but it's like as soon as... He, you know, when he figures out what, you know, the twist or like, or at least that they're not at the bank that everyone thinks that they're at, that like when he goes in with like the guns and everyone thinks he's crazy, that's where I feel like he was in his stride, like not just the character being in stride, but like he himself as the actor playing that character, 
it just he got it he got the physicality he got everything few words and then you've got like you know all the shootouts and like it just i think that was where he encapsulated all the stuff that he was trying to throughout the film but maybe it's just like me projecting along the ways of just being like oh wait i finally get what's happening here okay uh you know i'll say i'll say this about butler i've seen him in a bunch of different movies now and I do. I will. I would say that this is kind of a nice um, combination of you know, his personality as an actor, his persona on screen persona as an actor, and kind of where he's at realistically in his career right now. I think one of the interesting things about actors is a lot of times we bring into a movie our knowledge of them. And I was having a conversation with somebody today about you know Get Out. Uh, just this morning was nominated for a slew of Academy Awards, which yeah. is really great. It's a great movie. And kind of talking about how you need actors like a Bradley Whitford or an Allison Williams to make their characters work because we're familiar with their past work and they're playing off, you know, their entire history of characters as well. They're not just playing the character in the movie. To that point, you know, I can't help but think that like this version of Gerard Butler is a the version of Gerard Butler that we typically see in movies, whether or not that's what he's playing. You know, we think of... We've talked about him a lot, but I, I think of Gerard Butler as somebody that is not the most gifted actor, not by no means a bad actor, but someone that has a narrow range that he tries to stick to, yeah. someone that is more cheesy than not. And so, I don't know, there's a lot of times in Den of Thieves where I thought, you know, like only somebody that was a second tier action star could really sort of inhabit this character, which is a second tier, you know, crime movie villain. I thought I, I thought it was a good mix of Butler's assets and you know what the movie wanted, which was sort of the brash, slightly paunchy guy that's just gonna bark or lines and orders at the screen and, and other characters in the movie too. For me, I was surprised at how much I actually thought Butler fit. Yeah, and that's why, like again, it's like if to like rush forward to the twist. I would be really interested just in having a two-person sort of Gerard Butler, O'Shea Jackson Jr. face-off sort of, or not, you know, face-off as in face-off, face-off movie, but just the two of them, like, I don't know, with like a stronger script and much more focused. I don't know. I think that could be really fascinating. And like, if you kept up the energy of that third act, but like, I don't know, for the longer throughout the, like, I think you know, if this goes on to be a sequel, if there, if it goes on to have a sequel made like that, I think could be a great film. What did you think of O'Shea Jackson in this? Cause it's kind of on, on the one side, it's Butler um, and a couple of actors that are, you know, caught in his orbit. But on the other side, it's, it's Pablo Schreiber and it's O'Shea Jackson. Were you, were you impressed by the two of them? I really liked that, you know, you kind of throughout the whole or, like, for the bulk of the movie, you think, you know, it's Gerard Butler versus Pablo Schreiber with, like, a bit of 50 Cent there just to be cool. And then O'Shea Jackson Jr., you're just like, oh, I get why he's here, but at the same time, you know, like, oh, ha, 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 the Chinese food. But, um, yeah, no, I loved what they did with that in terms of, like, uh, like I, I honestly actually kept thinking about like Baby Driver <laughs> because like uh, you've got in Baby Driver you've got Ansel Elgort playing a character that is like known for his speed and like he's kind of yeah he's the baby of the group he's not you know necessary he doesn't he's not the brains of it and then that I kept like in my head comparing like that character to 
the one that O'Shea Jackson Jr. plays. And I was just like, this is an interesting take on certain things, especially because, like, it's not like he's there, I don't know, showing off some, like, super skills, like, this, other than when he's asked by Gerard Butler, like, oh, you were known for, like, how fast you can drive. And then it shows him, like, showing off the skills, but, like, briefly. Like, I almost forgot that there was that scene where he gets in the car and, like, nearly scares Schreiber. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. Like, I, I was just really fascinated with that take. Because, like, I think O'Shea Jackson Jr. definitely has, like, charisma that then there wasn't too much to play with, but he was able to do it well enough that then when you got, like, the big reveal, the big twist at the end, you're like, oh, I see what was happening here. And, like, that was cool. All right, I feel like I can't deny you the twist ending conversation anymore. Honestly, that's what makes the movie worth it for people who, like, let's just say, aren't either into the oeuvre or aren't Gerard Butler nerds. (laughs) So this is an an ending that's kind of... um, Directly lifted from the usual suspects. I think that's probably yeah. the, the most charitable way to put it with, with maybe a little bit of Ocean's Eleven in there mixed in as well. Um, yeah. You know, the, the film builds sort of builds to this point where they've had this really hyper violent shootout. Um, you know, they're they're again to compare it to another film, their, ver- their version of the Los Angeles gunfight and heat. And these characters have had this moment where Gerard Butler and Pablo Schreiber's character kind of like face off, knowing that one of them isn't going to make it out of there and that neither of them are willing to give up. So it, it as the film gets closer to the ending, it sort of narrows its tone a little bit until it becomes the sort of gritty and realistic street film. And then it suddenly like broadens way the hell up. And it turns out that O'Shea Jackson was British and the secret mastermind behind everything the whole time. I don't even know if he's British. Like, that's the thing. He could be anything at this point. That's what could be fascinating. Because, like, this could almost turn into, like, an ocean series of just following O'Shea Jackson Jr. everywhere. That's what's fascinating. So why did why did this win you over so hard? Like, when were you like, oh, yes, this is, this is the ending I wanted? Because, like, I think when it first hit me, I'm like, oh, this is really dumb. But then, like, I just really liked him at the bar, and he's just like, oh, what are you, like, da-da-da, you work at the Diamond Reserves? And I think that was the thing, is, like, I think if it was almost like any other actor or scenario in terms of, like, ooh, the big twist is that he's the mastermind all along, even if, I think, okay, I think if they even tried to, like, over-explain it or actually explain it properly in that last scene... I would not be sold, but I just liked how bold that was. That's just like, oh yeah, like this is actually what it all was. We're not going to give you the full explanation, but this is just what happened. And look, he's in London now and he's doing a, a terrible British accent. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's funny because the part of the movie that you like the most is the part of the movie that I actually like the least. I, you know, I like that we have that difference on it. I just, I couldn't. I was like, oh, you know, they, it, the, to me, the movie had found this kind of natural, enjoyable ending um, between the two characters. And Butler had had his, you know, the, the where the, all the posturing is ripped away and, you know, life or death on the line. And then for it to end with literally like the shot of the, you know, its version of the shot of the coffee cup falling and shattering in the ground in Brian Singer's film, I was just like, wow, I cannot believe that, th- that they decided to go there with this. Yeah. 
Um, but I guess, you know, once you, I guess once you commit yourself to the ridiculousness, there's nowhere to go but through. I think that's pretty much, I think that's it, is whether you buy the ridiculous, or like, I think that's me, like, I think, actually, that's actually probably part of the service of having it two hours and 20 minutes, is like, you're so, you're just like put to such a place by the end that like, you you just, it just puts you over the edge into that was like fantastic in its way. <laughs> If so if you sense. did if you did get your wish then uh, Diana and you had a sequel to Dead of Thieves what would that look like give me give me your your like napkin elevator pitch for Dead of Thieves two <laughs> Dead of Thieves year well we have to open in London of course of course <laughs> and so you've got the diamond exchange and I okay like in my this would not be the pitch but it would be really hilarious if they had Gerard Butler like either follow him there. Or his, like, British cousin be, like, on Scotland Yard or something. <laughs> like, I'm thinking in terms of, like, this will never happen, but it would just be really funny if they did something, like, that cheesy and corny and then just, like, went from there. And then you just have, like, a whole new team and all around, yeah. Like, and I could just, and then I feel like then you'd, almost follow the exact same trajectory but a little campy or like I don't know just a little funnier and a little more tongue-in-cheek like maybe again this is a terrible comparison but kind of almost Kingsman-y but like I hate I did not like the Kingsman so that's a really bad comparison that's not like an aesthetic I aspire to in my film or like in watching films it's not something I really like but I could see them going that direction and then, um, yeah, and pretty much just following like a similar trajectory where they end like in a shoot off or, you know, and they have that moment of Claire, as you were describing that you liked in Den of Thieves. And now that hearing you describe it, I appreciate, you know, that scene, uh, you know, between Schreiber and Butler a lot more than I did at the time. But um, yeah, so I could kind of see it just following the exact same formula, but like a little... I don't know, spunkier or something. <laughs> okay, all right, I can buy that. I, I will I will admit that if there is a Den of Thieves 2, I will, provided it is not a direct-to-video release, because <laughs> I need my movie pass uh, mileage, I would definitely go see that one in theaters. I think this one yeah. did enough for me. Uh, do you think, here's, here's really the million-dollar question, though, the, the whole reason that people tune in. Do you think that this points the arrow up, down, or sideways on Butler's career? I think sideways. Like, I really, I don't, because when we were discussing it before, maybe I just had a little too raised hopes of, like, because I was thinking if he could go full-on believable crazy character. Like, because when you were saying with Nicolas Cage, and I, like, almost interrupted, it like, with Nick Cage, he goes off the rails, and you believe it, versus with Gerard Butler, I'm always watching, or, like, with... It, with Gerard Butler and Den of Thieves, I'm just like, oh, it's Gerard Butler doing this, this, this. It was never like, oh, wow, he's gone off the deep end or, oh, shnikes or, oh, you know, this, that, or the other. It's just more that like, oh, I can see what he was trying to do there, but not quite succeeding. Well, that's too bad, Butler. <laughs> you reached, no, you reached for the stars. You didn't go backwards. You just didn't really go forwards. Right. Either. Like, I, like, I feel like it's a very of Geostorm caliber. That's totally fair. I also like Geostorm, so I guess yeah, I'm no, I like, it's like I like, but this like I don't know. Maybe it's just like I keep thinking back to like um, Dear Frankie and 
even Phantom of the Opera, like, I don't know. There was just, like, a certain spark that I keep hoping, you know, comes back. But that's just me being, I don't know, maybe a little too over-nostalgic. <laughs> well, before we give this movie the final score, then, um, as is typically my walk, I'm going to ask you, what is a movie that you might pair against this or watch instead or watch afterwards to sort of cleanse the palate? And to, to give you an extra second to, to think about that, um, I will offer mine first, which is, you know, there have been a lot of really good heist movies over the years, and I think you would... Uh, Sorry, Dan, I know you still haven't seen it, but um, you, you would definitely want to seek out Heat as a better example of kind of the good, bad cop versus the good, bad criminal. Wait. There's a lot of beats in this movie, I think, that that um, sort of emulated and try for the same scale and grandiosity of Michael Mann's film. But I will say, if you want something that's a little pulpy and a little good versus bad with a lot of blending of what those two things mean... You could do a lot worse. Um, you could do a lot, lot worse than seeking yeah. out Steven Soderbergh's Out of Sight, which um, if, if you haven't seen it yet, it, yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, stars George Clooney and Jennifer Lopez in two of their best roles in both of their long careers. Um, so I would recommend you see Heat because you're definitely going to want to see Heat. That's going to be like an itch you'll have to scratch. But if you want something that's a little bit more, you know, slippery and genre-y, which I think Den of Thieves qualifies for, a little bit more pulpy, um, try Soderbergh's Out of Sight. Well, I, se- I definitely second Out of Sight. That, oh, I love that film so much. Expe- like, just even just the dynamic between Jennifer Lopez and George Clooney, it's fantastic. Makes me wonder why Butler and Schreiber didn't have, like, a little thing in the movie. That could have made it better. Could have yeah, kicked it up a notch. Even, you know what? If they had cast an, a recognizable actress as either the ex-wife or the girlfriend of Schreiber that like I like if they could have played something more even in there of like you know like I don't know just playing up that dynamic that could have added something to it rather than I feel like they were pretty much like faceless nameless roles Mm. even though obviously there are faces because they have screen time but like relatively nameless but um yeah so I'm trying to think actually it was really funny because like I saw Den of Thieves and then I headed over the quad because um they were showing Queen Margot and Farewell My Queen. And uh, I saw Queen Margot like a few hours after, and that was a bloodbath with an incredible score. So that was a really weird palate cleanser. Just saying, like, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but it was fascinating in terms of like, I loved Queen Margot beyond words. But it was more just like, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that as a pairing. But um, I'm trying to think, well, like, I definitely recommend Baby Driver in terms of heist movies. Like, I love that movie very much. And it kind of keeps you enraptured for the whole, I think that one's like two hours or so. That um, And you're kind of like on your seat the whole time. But um, I'm trying to think in terms of anything else. You know, it's okay. I'm going to give you permission. You can say it. You can tell people to go watch Dracula 2000. I know, I know that's what you want to do. <laughs> yeah, no, I honestly, I feel like Dracula 2000 is the perfect watch at like 1 a.m. when there's like nothing else on and it's on stars, you know, not stars proper, but one of the other stars is. And you're just there and you're eating junk food. And then therefore, of course, you have to watch a junk movie. And it's the perfect one. It's, uh, yeah, like I would thoroughly recommend it in that sense. <laughs> so there are your options. See Queen Margot, see Baby Driver, or see Dracula 2000. 
And those are the first and last times those movies will ever be mentioned in the same sentence together. I guarantee it. Uh, Diana, what is then coming out of this film on a scale of one to five? What's your final score for Den of Thieves? Uh, like I keep dancing between like, I feel like I'm going to go two and a half. I feel like it was sol- like it was a solid watch. I feel like anything under two, I would kind of put in like this was offensively bad or painful or anything. And this wasn't, you know, like there, there were no points that made me angry in a how dare they are. Oh, this is just so shoddy. But like, I wouldn't say that I necessarily liked it overall. And that's where I feel like the three, three plus would go. So yeah, two and a half. Fair enough. Uh, I am, I'm actually going to come in a little higher than you, actually. I'm, I'm going to say a 3.5. And the reason, the reason for this, I think, is that I grew up a big fan of baseball. And in baseball scouting, I've talked about this on the show before, there's yeah. the concept of ceilings and floors, like how good a guy could be if everything breaks right and like how realistic it is that there'll be any good whatsoever. So when I say 3.5, what I mean is that the movie could have possibly been, in the best case scenario, a 3.5 out of 5 film and it actually manages to deliver for the most part on it. I think I think it's a movie that sets out to be, again, a red box heat. And I think it is exactly that, a red box heat. So many people in America are going to check this out at a red box outside their CVS um, once it hits you know, the red box system in like two weeks or whatever it'll be. And you know what? I'm they're gonna go on Twitter and they're gonna be like, I enjoyed that. And yeah. I won't remember in a year if it was a 2017 or a 2018 release. I'm totally fine with that. But I spent two hours and 20 minutes watching a heist film with Gerard Butler as a scenery-chewing bad guy cop. And I, you know, I had a thoroughly pleasant time. So 3.5 out of 5. Yeah, you know what it is? It's the perfect afternoon TNT drama watch. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely cut edited for content and time. But but yes. (laughs) All right, Diana, so if people want to follow up, um, if they want, if they need someone in their lives to uh, relate to about Gerard Butler, or if they just want to stay abreast of your writing and the type of content that you put out there, how can uh, how can people follow you? What's a good way to reach out? Well, on Twitter, I'm at Diana D. Drum, Diana with one N, M, or Drum with two M's. And um, I'm also behind, as I mentioned earlier, uh, female critics. And yeah, like either way, I'm always open for DMs, emails, all that jazz. And yeah, I'm just freelancing. So there isn't necessarily one side or this, that, or the other, but I'm around. <laughs> yeah, as, as with most writers, Twitter is probably the best way to keep track of yeah, what, we're, what we're doing and what we're up to. Yeah, because it just, it works as a very in real time portfolio. Yeah, exactly. And as for myself, you can reach out and get in touch with me on Twitter at Labsplice. That's L-A-B-S-P-L-I-C-E. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at, at OnePerfectPod or follow the mothership at, at OnePerfectShot. And if, as always, please, if you've enjoyed what you've listened to today, leave us a review, leave us a comment, get in touch with the editor-in-chief of the site. We love feedback. We love hearing what you guys have to say. So thank you so much for listening. And Diana, thank you. I will see you again, I'm sure, um, for the next Olympus Has Fallen or the uh, White House, whichever one it is. I can't remember. Yeah, it's just whatever has fallen. And again, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. We'll see you again soon. Bye.